If you have too many thoughts whirling through your head and need to settle down, get to know your magnificent mind. We let our brains run the show, but the real juice is in finding your true nature far beyond your intellect. Welcome to A Magnificent Mind with Jan Christensen and Marnix Powells. Join us today on a journey to discover your magnificent and endlessly powerful mind and settle down to your real potential. Now, here are your hosts, Jan and Marnix. Hello, this is a radio show, Magnificent Mind, and we're about showing people ways of slowing down to the speed of life, connecting with their true nature, and deeply enjoying life. My name is Jan, and my co-host Marnix is here today, and this is episode 13. Uh, today, we're going to be talking with Shanann Sharania, and he's had a pretty interesting life. We're um, looking forward to this conversation. I'll just tell you about Shanann. Uh, he has reinvented himself throughout his life several times, always searching for deeper and more meaningful connections to his soul. After moving with his family from Kenya to Vancouver, Canada at the age of 11, he faced a deep cultural shock and other unforeseen challenges in his new country and soon found himself reacting to his environment with aggression, which led him to making poor choices early in life. Before he could fully grasp the results of these choices, he found himself in a destructive gang-related lifestyle. He made his way out of what seemed like an impossible journey from a life filled with confusion and pain to achieve his dreams of owning his own business. But at the age of 29, he was the owner of a restaurant that was doing incredibly well, but he found himself not fulfilled with his surroundings. He felt stuck and confused. It was then that he discovered his true passion, and it was in service of others. He now works as a transformation leadership and performance coach with individual men and women, business owners, corporations, and family units from different walks of life to help them discover their infinite potential and create their experience of life with less restrictions, deeper connections, and the richness of creativity with a lot more fun. He also volunteers his time to work with youth inside and outside of schools and with different nonprofit organizations, sharing his experiences of life while pointing them back to their innate well-being and waking them up to the creative potential inside themselves. That's a pretty incredible bio, Shanann. And I know your work is it's fascinating, what you do with youth and uh, your coaching. Could you tell us a little bit about your experiences that you've gone through in life? Sure. Um, if I was to start at the you know, beginning of when I came to Vancouver, because that's when all the juicy stuff happens, right? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is that when I got here to Vancouver, where I am now, um, I got bullied a lot. You know, back in the day, 25, 30 years ago, this is, I went to school and there was about two or three brown kids in a 700, school, uh, 700 kid school, elementary school. Um, and, and I got bullied just because, you know, kids are really compassionate human beings. Uh, so, <laughs> so I didn't know how to face that. And I had never been bullied before, so I didn't know what was going on. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking, like, all of this in reflection, 
I, I think in my 30s is when I started to really look at it. I remember thinking, you know, there must be something that is unlikable about me. That's what makes sense. Otherwise, why would people not like me? And as I was thinking that, I was like, oh, that's got to be it. That's, that's, that's true. It makes sense. And isn't that painful? And isn't that it? Thought? It's yeah. It's like this authenticity watered down. That was that moment of, okay, now I have to try and be somebody. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started to, you know, think the next thing, which was how can I be more likable? And as I tried to figure that out and mess it up, uh, still kept getting bullied. And when I went into high school, the bullying continued. And, um, you know, I, I talked to my parents and my friends' parents and teachers and principals and everyone that I could. Um, not in a very aggressive way, but just like, I don't know what's going on. This is what's going on. And across the board, I heard the same message, which very fortunately, the, the scene has changed now. But the message back then was, oh, that's just part of school. Everyone goes through it. Wow. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was confused because in my mind, it translated as, you're telling me that I should get up in the morning, get dressed and go get bullied? Not really registering with that. I'm not inspired. Uh, not impressed. So I started skipping yeah. school. Yeah, right. So I started skipping school a lot because I didn't see any other way. I was like, well, I'm not going to go get bullied. I'll just leave school. And so, of course, mm-hmm. I skipped school. I hung out with kids that skipped school, got into smoking and smoking weed and all of that. And this was age 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was 14 years old, I was you know, skipping so much school and hanging out with a crowd that Basically, we're facing the same thing. You know, there were a bunch of immigrants. They got bullied. They didn't know how to react. They skipped school because they probably got the same message. And so we kind of formed a little bit of a group that we related with each other, even though everyone was a different part of the world. We were like, oh, we, there's something here that connects us. And so I went down that path and met older kids and started hanging out with them and got into selling weed, smoking weed. Um, that one thing led to another. I was stealing cars at 13, doing cocaine at 14, and by 15, I dropped out of school. You know, I had enough. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was dropping out of school at, at age 15, by that time, I had been kicked out of three different schools, put in an alternate school where all the bad kids go. Um, and one school to another school to another school, just, you know, we don't want this guy in our school kind of thing. is disrupting everyone else. And um, by the time I dropped out, I was just thinking to myself, like, man, no one's ever tried to understand what I'm going through. They're just trying to tell me what to do, what not to do. And to be fair, you know, that, that was the level of consciousness back then. Parents knew the best and they would not be curious about what, it, what, it, what a kid is interested in. Um, they were more about, at least in my experience, they were more about, here's what's right and here's what's wrong. And if you don't do what's right, here's your consequences. So it was more like try to scare the kid on a right path, mm-hmm. right? Now, now as, as we know now, you know, you tell a 14, 15-year-old what not to do, they kind of want to do it more. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'll test that so, out. So, yeah. Shannon, the, 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 the group you formed with the, the other outcasts, what, what did they, what did it bring? It must have given you something that you desperately wanted or needed. Yeah, it was a sense of belonging. That was the core thing that I was looking for that I didn't even know I was looking for, you know. And, um, and, and we see that in adult age. Everyone's looking for a sense of belonging. It's a human need, right? Yeah. We want to feel belonged. We, we need a community and we need to be related. 
But I didn't know that that's what I was looking for. It was just that feeling that, oh, my God, I, I belong in some way, shape, or form here. Uh, and so I started developing in that direction. And so at 15, I remember uh, just before I dropped out, I had this really cool principal. He was, he was really friendly. He was interacting with the kids. Everyone loved him. But again, of course, in reflection, seeing that nobody was really educated on how to uh, interact with children. They were just kind of coming with this cookie cutter. Here's what's mm -hmm. right. Here's what's wrong. Do what's right. Not wrong. And um, he sat me down before he finally uh, said, you know, th this is your last chance. And he said to me, he's like, Shanann, I'll tell you one thing. If you don't go to school, if you don't continue, you will not be successful. It's a tough world out there. You know, I'm 15 sitting in his office. And I remember specifically like the chair I was sitting in, he had this owl collection that was really cool. I remember all of it. And I remember again, translating that in my head as, oh, you won't go to school means you won't be successful. Success equals money. You won't go to school means you won't have money. Ah, okay, I gotcha. So I got really scared because in my mind, it was like, if you don't go to school, you won't make money. Now, granted, you know, to be fair to him, he was right because back then academia was so much more important than it is right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Nowadays, you can be successful in many, many paths. Back then, 25 years ago, it was hard to see that. So he was right. You, you got to go to school, get an education. Otherwise, it's a hard world. Now, when I dropped out, I, dro I was already committed to dropping out. So as soon as I dropped out, I committed to selling drugs. <laughs> I said, you know what? In my mind, if I, success equals money, and if, I, if you think I'm not going to make money, here I go. And okay. so I went deeply into that world. And so, you know, that was me, 15, 16, 17, 18, just getting more and more involved in that world, created this beautiful mask that I would pretend to be aggressive, you know, hardcore person. And that was part of, um, you know, I got bullied a lot and I got scared a lot. So I didn't know how to be. So I developed this aggressive person that I show up in the world with so that people wouldn't fight me and they would be scared of me. Mm -hmm. I, I mistook, you know, fear for respect. I was like, oh, people respect me. No, they don't respect you. They're scared of you. Um, but anyways, got deeper and deeper involved in it. And by 17 and 18, I was into guns and selling guns and getting into shootouts and 19, 20, 21, 22, all of that continued very deeply. Started losing a lot of friends to you know, either they're getting murdered or they're going to jail for 15, 20 years or they're dying of overdoses. So that became my lifestyle. And um, to cope with all of it, I got really heavily involved in uh, drugs and alcohol. So I was doing drugs every second, third day and drinking pretty much every day to quiet this so that, you know, I wouldn't get too loud and I would do something stupider. <laughs> did you still have a, did you still see your parents in that time? I did. I did. I lived at home, technically. You know, I had places around the city and all the little places that we had that we used to deal from. Um, but technically, I was at home. So I would show up at home and I would either be drunk or on drugs. And I really didn't have a connection with my family at all. Um, did they have any parents, idea how, how bad it was? How, how deeply involved you were with the, the criminal stuff? Well, they, they did. Uh, they, they had a clue. I don't think they knew the details of it. They had a, r a real good clue of how involved I was. Um, you know, I got arrested many times and my, my parents being immigrants themselves coming to a first world country from a third world country, 
they were doing their best to put food on the table. You know, they were yeah. working long hours and they were facing a culture shock themselves. They didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So you can't really blame them. But they always had my back in a sense that every time, you know, I got into trouble, they were there to bail me out. It just was that they didn't know how to guide a, a child that has gone astray. I mean, there's no manual on that one, right? Mm-hmm. So they loved me, but there was no emotional connection because I was so much of a rebel of nobody understands me and, you know, F the world and F the government and F everybody. And so I, I wouldn't open up. And because I wouldn't open up, obviously, it's going to be hard to connect. Mm-hmm. Now, they found out the depth of what I was into when at age 23, their house got shot up and they were inside. Wow. And that was sort of a wake-up call. You know, mm-hmm. I was in a club all drunk and partying. And I got a call from my brother uh, at two in the morning saying, you know, our, our house has been shot up. And so I said, all right, well, call the police. Don't call me. <laughs> and that's how de- hazed I was. Mm-hmm. And, and this was a turning point for me because my friend grabbed my shoulders and said, do you realize what just happened? Maybe you want to go home and see your parents because they were inside the house. We don't know who's injured. Six shots fired in the home. Uh, So I started heading home, and as I got closer to home, I kept phoning and phoning and phoning, and no one's answering. And then my dad finally picked up the phone when I was really close to home, and he said, don't come here. There's about 16 cop cars outside. You know, obviously, they knew me. They knew what I was involved in. And um, I remember thinking to myself when when he said, don't come here. There's 16 cop cars outside. I remember thinking, wow, what a sweet man. He still has my back. I've just got his house shot up. And he doesn't want me to come there. Right. Wow. Right. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, what a sweet man. Now, in reflection, I realized he was saying, don't come home because he knew how much of an aggressive person I was that I might get in a shootout with the police. (laughs) Okay. That's why either way, it was helpful to to hear. Yeah. (laughs) It was so helpful because here, here was my fork in the road. When I was moving towards my house, right? Uh, I could, you know, hear the sirens and police are, you know, circling around the neighborhood and trying to find the suspects or doing their investigation or whatever it is that they're doing. And so I went into the bushes because I was like, all right, I'm just, I'm just going to you know, lay low for a bit. And I was there for four hours by myself. All the booze was wearing off. I was there alone with my thoughts. And that was a blessing in disguise because now, it, it, you know, stuff got real. Mm-hmm. I had to face my thoughts and go, wait a minute, this is what it's come to. How did it come to this? You've got your parents' house shut up. They actually brought you here from Kenya to have a better life. Here's what you've, you've given them. Here's what you've come to. Here's what you've become. Do you really want to do this? And the, and the most clear question was, do you want to continue being a gangster or do you want to change your life? And it was really clear to me that, you know what, I'm not a gangster, this is an act. I don't know how we got this far, but this is, I want to change my life. So I was 23, 22 years old back uh, back then when this epiphany hit me, it was like this clear epiphany. Here's the fork, choose one. And I decided in that bush that I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm done. I'm getting out of this game. I'm getting out of this life. I'm going to hand in my pink slip. Well, unfortunately that life doesn't work that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So it actually took me four years after making that decision to actually get out of that life because I didn't know any other way. I didn't know how to be in a civilized world. I've never had a job. I've never interacted with anyone that is above the underworld. So I had to learn all of it. So I kept you know, applying for jobs and trying to get a job and get fired because I don't know how to behave and I'm calling in sick and I'm going in drunk. And Were you disappointed many, many times? Or are there, were there moments during oh, those four years that you thought, ah, fuck it. You know, let's let's go back to the let's take the easy road again. Oh, good, we can swear because I just held myself back a couple of times. <laughs> you can swear as much as you want. All right, for, for fuck's sake. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. A disappointment would be a very light word. You know, I was ashamed of myself. I was covered in just pure guilt and shame, and I was carrying that like, um, like it was me. Like that was, was it also a, a moment of, uh, or a couple of years of, of transformation or transition, or, you know, you got to pretty much learn about yourself way more than you did before, right? In the, in the desperation and in the pain and in the shame and all of that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, got, I, I got woken up to different levels of clarity of like, you know, how inconsiderate I was being, how I had innocently created all this persona to live from how I disconnected from everyone who was close to me just to play a part mm-hmm. and um, and yeah every time I got fired or every time I just couldn't see myself doing something that I set out to do I would go back into that life because that's all I knew um, and I was I was ashamed of myself but I don't know if, I, I can't pinpoint for what reason I just kept trying I got another job and I got fired again and I went back into that life and I got another job and I got fired again so this happened, I got fired six times over two years from jobs. And I just couldn't hold one down, right? And then around 2008 is when I started to look into uh, getting my own business. And now the fundamental reason of why I wanted to get my own business was because I wanted to be my own boss. Like it came from pure arrogance, you know? I don't want people to tell me what to do. I want my make, I'll make my own schedule. I wanna make my own money. So I'll get my own business. And so I started looking at franchises at that point and Tim Hortons, as Jan already knows what Tim Hortons is. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, Marnix. No. No. no? Okay. So it's a cafe and bake shop franchise that's in Canada. And um, it's similar to McDonald's, but, you know, coffee and donuts is the, is the, okay. is what they're yeah. peddling. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it's huge here. Like it's, it's a religion. Everyone knows Tim Hortons. Everyone loves it. It's associated with hockey and all of it. And it's also a cash cow. Yeah, it's huge. (laughs) And it's a cash cow. So getting a franchise is a big deal, right? It's you follow the system that they have created, which is established very well, plug yourself in, and you'll be good. You're you're set financially. So obviously, I went for that. And um, I, I, I couldn't get one. I was young, I had no credit background, I had no resume. My resume looked like I was born like three weeks ago, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so they're like, well, they're so suspicious a little bit, what's going on? And so I, um, I went to work at Tim Hortons. I handed in a resume and said, you know, I, I was transparent with the owner that I worked for from the beginning. I said, I wanna own one. And he said, well, you're gonna have to learn it. So I did all the steps. I put on a hairnet and started serving coffee and make sandwiches and clean the washrooms and then became a baker. And then I did the midnight shifts and then I became a supervisor, assistant manager, manager. And that took me about four years to climb all those positions. And I tell you, that was when I was being humbled 
my life. You know, I had all this arrogance in me that was just like, I'm going to get one and no one's going to stop me. Mm-hmm. Um, to get a Tim Hortons is really difficult. I mean, I, I've been out of that for about seven years now, so I don't know the process now. But back then, 100,000 people a year applied for one and about eight to 10 got picked out of 100,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. So slim chances. <laughs> yeah, that's big. Right? And... Um, and so I kept working. I just kept understanding the process and the business. And um, why I say I was humbled was because, you know, it's it's a minimum wage job. People, uh, again, things have changed nowadays. People are more conscious. But back then, customers are not very nice. You make a wrong coffee and they want to throw it in your face and they want to throw a sandwich yeah. at you. It's like, you made this wrong, all right, right? But how, and did I, you have, what kept you motivated? Because that's oh sound like a sweet deal. <laughs> It wasn't. And there was two things that really struck me. So first off, when I first experienced somebody going, I said two sugars, not one, you idiot. I remember thinking, I will fucking shoot you. You don't know me. That's an awesome career move, right? <laughs> this is what I was thinking. This was, yeah. this was my, my head. This was my yeah. life, you know, in my head. But I would go in the freezer and punch the frozen boxes and get my anger out and go back out there, telling myself, just suck it up. You're going to get a Tim Hortons. Suck it up. You're going to get a Tim Hortons. So that was the one thing that kept me not exploding. The second thing, which was a little bit more like it, was seeing, I was working with all these um, Filipinos that really common in Tim Hortons is a lot of Filipinos work there. And I would talk to them and they would be my coworkers. These people would hold down three jobs. They had families that they were sending back money home to, you know. And I would speak to them and I would be like, wow, like, look at what they're up to. You know, they're, they're living an honest life. They work here. Then they go to A&W and work there. They're doing three jobs. They're sending half their money back home. They're raising kids. They're cleaning all this. And they have a smile on their face. What makes you think you're so special, Shanahan? Like, yeah. why, what is this arrogance <laughs> yeah. about? And that humbled me, you know, that, that's what kept me going and going and going. Now, it wasn't finesse, right? I, I kept messing up and I kept going back and I kept messing up and going back. Uh, but eventually got approved for my own Tim Hortons and opened my own Tim Hortons in 2011, which was a huge accomplishment. I was 29 years old. Um, not only was I somebody who had made it out of a gang-related lifestyle, which a few do, but now has his own business. And um, it was really good. Like we were doing over $2 million a year the first year, got awards for it, had 52 staff that I was responsible for, 24-hour restaurant, um, a massive operation. And I was very, very happy. I was accomplished. I felt great. People that always told me I would never make it, the same people were like, I knew you would make it. You know, I got to learn <laughs> how people respond. <laughs> got to learn all of that. Um and, and, and I rode that wave for quite a bit, you know, about a year and three quarters to two years. And then I remember um, somewhere in between there, I think it was about a year and a half in, I started to really feel this emptiness and I didn't know what it was about. And I kept looking at it every day going, it doesn't make sense. I went after this business. It's making a lot of money. Got a nice penthouse suite now. Got a couple of cars. Got over $2 million coming in every year. What's missing? There's nothing missing. But there was something missing, and I just couldn't pinpoint it, you know. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure it out. So that's when I hired a coach. I had heard about coaching. I wasn't familiar with it. Some friends were doing it, and I was like, all right, well, this is interesting. 
I've never heard about life coaching. I've heard about, you know, athletes being coached. Never heard of life coaching. What's that? Got very interested in, hired my first coach in 2013. And um, he blew my mind. It was just pure conversations about what, what, what are your beliefs? What are your values in life? You know, I remember the, one of the first questions he asked me was, what does success mean to you? And I remember telling him, success equals money, don't you know? Like, next question, please. And he's like, oh, slow down. (laughs) He's like, what about relationships? What about health? What about contribution? What about leadership? And I was like, wow, I've never thought of these things. What about passion? What's that? I don't know what that is. So it was was this questioning that was going on internally that would send me home with, and it would percolate. And... um, through working with him in 2013, while I was still, you know, the owner of a Timmy's, I really started to question everything. I was like, I don't know why I'm here because I'm in a robot machine. I'm serving coffee all day. Like there's, yeah. I'm not passionate to serve coffee every 30 seconds. I'm not mm-hmm. passionate um, managing minimum wage staff. You know, I'm not passionate when somebody comes and tries to rob the Timmy's at two and three in the morning because we're a 24 hour restaurant. You got to go down there. <laughs> I'm not really connected to this business. And so I found out that the reason I got the business was I was still riding under that one fundamental belief, success equals money, right? In the drug and gang related world, it was all about money. I was chasing money because I thought that meant success. Well, the reason I got Tim Hortons was because of money. There was nothing else attached to it. So although the scenery had changed externally, the the underneath Shanann had not changed. Success still still, was still kind of poor from within. Yeah, Uh absolutely. So this, this, yeah, this, 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 this revelation must have hit you like a ton of bricks. You know, you finally had what you've been working for all these years. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, I have to start all over again. Um, Maybe we can talk about that a little bit after the break, right? You know, I'm very subtly taking the everybody into the break again, like yeah. the professional guy I, that I am. But um, yeah, it's really interesting. So you have everything you you want. You you know, everybody's like, oh, he's amazing. You're so successful. You're doing amazing. Your parents must, parents must have been proud too. Then all of a sudden you have this epiphany where you think, oh, maybe this is not what it's all about. Where the fuck should I go right now? Now, let's talk about that after the break. Okay? Okay. Okay, guys. See you after the break. Hear you after the break. Bye. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. 
Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. This is a magnificent mind. To reach Jan Christensen, Marnix Powells, or their guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to insearchofapeacefulmind at gmail.com. Now, back to a magnificent mind. And we're back with A Magnificent Mind, talking to Shanann. Shanann, just before the break, he, he was talking about the amazing career moves after working in a gang, being in a gang, um, being this, this, this persona of a gang member, working his way up to, um, to the owner of, uh, what is it again? The? Uh, Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons. I'm from Holland. I don't know them. And, and then all of a sudden, after a couple of years of pretty successful um, career, everything looked looked amazing from the outside. But you know, then he started working with a coach, and the coach kind of flipped everything around. So what happened next? What what, what did you you st- you started to doubt everything you had, you everything you were, everything you thought was important? Exactly. That's exactly what happened. Was I was there was there was a layer being peeled off you know the layer that i was living from was all of a sudden shaken and my cage was rattled and um i started to question everything and 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 as i was questioning it and like i said i was still going into work every day right as an owner and it just became more and more clear that i i, I just can't be here i don't want to be here and so I got insight after insight. So one of the one of the insights that followed the one that was saying success is not money, you had it wrong, <laughs> was that um, my I had no deep relationships in my life. You know, that one hit me really big. It was like I was working all the time at Timmy's. I was doing 16, 20-hour days there until I was burnt out. Then I wouldn't go and I would go do another 20-hour shift and then I wouldn't go. So I was overworking. So my drug of choice now was overworking to quiet the mind, right? I just replaced one addiction with another, really. Mm-hmm. And I started to realize, wait a minute, my relationships um, are, are very surface. I have no connection with my parents. Now I have no connection with my friends. I remember my friends calling me, you know, this person's getting married. And this day, I'm like, sorry, I can't. I, I'm working. Oh, my firstborn is here. Sorry, can't. I'm working. We're going to a stag, Mexico. Sorry, can't. I'm working. Then I remember one of the times when one of my friends was, um, I'm not sure what it was, whether it was his firstborn or his marriage. And I heard about it from another friend. And I said, well, how come, how come I don't know about this? How come I wasn't told? And he looked me straight in the eye and said, Shanann, every time we call you, you're not available. Stop calling you. And I was like, oh my God, what am I doing all this for? Money? Money is renewable anywhere. 
And so I started to really question that, you know, this lifestyle I have created that's about chasing money. And although the money is there, nothing else is there. But no time to enjoy the money probably, right? Right. Well, the plan was do this really, you know, uh, push hard for five years and then enjoy life. Yeah, yeah, it's very right? smart. Like that, that's the narrative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not considering that I could be hit by a bus the next day and everything could crumble um, and you haven't enjoyed anything. Or you would die serving coffee for the umpteenth time exactly. that day, you know, somewhere in the exactly. night. Yeah, yeah. And drinking six coffees every day wouldn't be so healthy either. <laughs> Maybe that would contribute to it. But that was kind of the scene I had created for myself. And then, you know, inside after inside of like, w w what am I contributing to this world and what's going on and who am I and all that stuff came in. So it became really, really clear that I, I just can't be in this business anymore. This is not something that is aligned with me. Uh, and, and Tim Hortons is a fantastic business. Like the way they take care of their franchisees is amazing. So it wasn't an issue about I'm not aligned with how things work. It was just that I'm, Shanann is not aligned with the business. And so it was extremely difficult uh, to give it up, you know, but that's what I did. I, I broke the lease and told them I can't do this. I'm, I, I want to do something else. And I broke the lease and lost a bit of money and gave up the business. And that was difficult, very difficult in so many ways. One of the, one of the most common ways that was just, um, so loud in my mind was, you know, you're a grade 10 dropout. You have no education. You've, you've managed to get this because you're lucky, like keep it. Because <laughs> if you let this go, what are you going to do? And I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I wanted to let it go. And then the next thing was everyone around me saying, oh my God, like you've just got out of a gang related world and you've got this, like stick with it, you know? Um, and that was in my ear all day. My parents were like, listen, you've got to just roll with this. It's a good gig. In my heart, I was like, no, I, I just can't do this. I know I don't want to do this. And I remember my dad telling me, he tried to convince me to keep it. And I was like, I, I just know in my heart, I cannot do this. I can't be a robot in here just serving coffee. Ten years are going to go by like this. I won't even know it. I got to act now. And after a little bit of a conversation with him, he says, all right, so okay, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll take your word that you don't want to do this. At least tell me what you're going to do. You have a backup plan, right? And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he's like, oh, my God, this is not good. <laughs> and and he, I remember his words. He was like, you might need psychiatric help because this is not a good decision. <laughs> oh, he's obviously just scared that his offspring is not going to make it, right? He's obviously yeah. 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 I, I was I was loose in grips anyways growing up. Um, but but did it scare you? That you? It obviously scared him that you didn't have a backup plan. But did the, you know, for you, the, yeah. the the feeling inside that you were at the wrong place, doing th something that you that didn't just didn't make your heart sing, was more powerful than anything else. More powerful than the fear about what to do next or where to look or where to go. That's amazing, yeah, you right? Know, it's amazing that you just know stuff like that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was it. it. It was so clear that I don't want to be here. And there was another more quiet voice, you know, that I started to recognize many, many years later that that was the case, um, which was like, I was always drawn to some kind of contribution. Like Tim Hortons has this uh, contribution, you know, I guess division, if you want to call it. They, they sponsor kids that are underprivileged into soccer, hockey, everything paid for, sponsor kids to go camp, 
summer camps and winter camps and all of that. I was always so intrigued by that. I never realized that this was pulling me. I was always intrigued and interested in this. But I just thought that that's what everyone's interested in. I didn't realize that this pull was something that was lighting me up. Um, my staff members at Timmy's, you know, if I had a 16 or 18 hour day, I would have to do inventory and I'd be like, man, I'll do this tomorrow. I'm not doing inventory after an 18 hour day. But if my staff member came up and said, hey, I'm having some trouble at home. Oh, let's talk about it. I'm here for you. I didn't realize that I was just there and loved being there. Now, I didn't know if that came from so much bad that I did before that I felt like I had to reverse my karma or it was my passion and I didn't really investigate, but I knew that that was real. And so when I gave up the Timmy's, I literally took six months off. I didn't do anything because I just had to clear my mind and um, slow down a bit. So I went hiking and kayaking and explored BC a little bit. And then I explored coaching. I said, man, coaching has made such a profound impact in my life. And it's just conversations. It's not nothing. You know, it was, it was mind-blowing to me that conversations change lives. I've never had conversations like that. We're always talking about the weather and traffic. <laughs> and so I said, what if I do coaching? You know, I started getting this thought. And I remember I was hiking at one point and I was sitting at the top of a deep cove here in North Van. And I thought to myself, what if I did coaching because it's made such a profound impact in my life? And if I had coaching earlier in my life, maybe I would have been in a, uh, in a direction of fulfillment earlier. Uh, and that was really nice. That felt good, you know. And then the next thought, which is why I committed to coaching, was, you know, if my friends had coaching, they probably would be alive. Their mothers probably wouldn't be, you know, crying themselves to sleep over senseless deaths. And that struck me to go, wow, coaching is powerful. It wakes people up. And if people are in the wrong direction, coaching saves lives. So I said, all right, I want to explore coaching. So that's what I did. 2013, started experimenting with it. And I was really careful to experiment with it, not jump in, because I was like, if it turns out like a Tim Hortons, then, you know, I want to slow down and experiment before I commit. <laughs> and and I did. I fall, I fell in love with it when I started to hear what people are getting from coaching. Uh, I was in pure tears and um, that piece that I talked about that was missing when I was at Tim Hortons and I, and I felt like I had everything, but something was missing. That was actually filled. Like I remember that, that feeling of fulfillment of feeling full, you know, as we call it, mm -hmm. feel full after a conversation. I was like, this is what I want to do. So 2014, I, I started my own business uh, in the middle of really? 2014. Did you yeah. just start coaching out of nowhere? Did you don't know, have no training or no courses or? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I, I had no training and no courses. I jumped in and started having conversations with people and yeah. just impacting people. Um, there was a reason for that. It wasn't, you know, bravado. <laughs> um, I, I, I talked to a lot of coaches that were taking a lot of courses and everyone that I talked to that was taking a course or going to a coaching school uh, they seem to be formulaic in their way of coaching. And I, I wanted to stay away from that. I was like, you know what? Transformational is not formulaic. So what I did instead was I hired high-end uh, coaches, you know, that have, that have not only uh, created a business, successful business out of their coaching, but they can also teach me how to coach, watch me coach, correct me, you know, direct me. 
so that's what I did. Instead of going to coaching school, I just hired high-end coaches one after another and learned from them because I got two things out of them, how to coach, how to listen deeper, how to show up more, and also how to build a business. And so I got into that world more and more, and then I ran into the principles, which was late 2015, which again, shifted everything for me. And that's when I started to see, oh yeah, this is why I did what I did in 2008. This is why I did what I did in 2003. I didn't see all of that till 2016 or 17. Mm -hmm. And um, the youth work that Jan was mentioning earlier, that came into play 2018. Because around 2016, 17, I remember thinking, and as I was building my coaching business, you know, it was still uh, quite a struggle. The first couple of years was experimenting yeah. and trying to find a way, right? And, um, and I remember thinking, you know, it would be really nice to go back into the drug and gang world and, and contribute in this way because I see so many people suffering. I know exactly what they're suffering. Uh, it's, it's really hard to see from the outside what the person inside is going through, you know, no matter how much we study it or our best assumptions can never be related to that and I could see people like man I used to go through that man I know what that guy's feeling man I know what he's yeah. hiding wish I could help and I remember thinking to myself in a very judgmental way in a very innocent judgmental way <laughs> I remember looking at people and going oh my god this guy is so deep involved in the gang related lifestyle he's he's gone like he's a lifer yeah. this person might get out right he's he's a little bit he's got a chance that person totally gone this person Okay, maybe. Yeah. I was like categorizing people in my mind. And I didn't even know it. And the principles helped me see, no, everyone, it's possible. It just straight lined everyone, everyone, no matter yeah. how deep or no matter how new they are, it's possible. And that excited me. Like that really lit me up. And so in 2018 is when I started to go back into schools and sharing my story um, working with different nonprofits, working with police officers and teachers, you know, anti-gang forums after school, programs after school, and um, started connecting with people. And, you know, obviously the story connects, right? I, I, somebody brings me in as a speaker and you can see the kids going, oh God, here's just one more speaker, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And as I try to share my story, which I just did in whatever version yeah. it comes out, they start to really pay attention going, wow, this guy actually went through the shit. He's not just somebody who read a book, you know? Yeah. And so they started contacting me privately one by one and started building relationships. And then I started helping whoever I could. Uh, so I take on maybe four or five youth a year. Um, you know, all, all that world of mine is completely voluntary. Yeah. Because I realized uh, getting into that world that a lot of nonprofits have to raise money and they charge money and their whole thing is centered around how much they can afford to do. And so my coaching business, you know, I work with CEOs of different corporations or different coaches as well, or scientists or single moms or whoever it is, Yeah. but it's a different world. I, I make my revenue there and I do all of this for free. And that allows me to do all of this. For free. That's cool. Right. The balance is awesome. Right. Where you, mm -hmm. yeah, well, and it's and it's practical thing too. You know, you can you know you can do only one of the two things. But you know, where this this these, these normal gigs they allow you to um, to 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 give your time to people who really need exactly. it and have money for yeah. it. it. Must be must be very rewarding. It is, and it makes it so unlimited. You know, it's not like because money is always a thing, right? Yeah. It, it, mm -hmm. no, no matter how much you don't make it a thing, it's still a thing in the background. 
Yeah. And that eliminates that from this conversation. It's like there's no money involved. There's a set of agreements involved that are a little bit sharper that people have to show up for. Yeah, um, yeah I've coached people that are you know heavily involved in drugs, um, heavily involved in gangs, uh, families that have their children in gangs or drugs. And it's just a conversation of deepening and uh, helping them understand more of what's going on instead of trying to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it's a slow process. Sometimes it's a little bit of teeth pulling. But mm. because, you know, I got to credit the principles on this. It's like if you can see that the principles do allow people a different level of understanding of life, a different exploration, a different sense of hope, mm-hmm. uh, then you can keep going. It doesn't matter how many conversations you have. You can just keep, you know, knocking until somebody sees it. Mm. And because it's true, People are going to see it. It's not like you you have to use this new method, otherwise you're trapped. It's like, no, it's true. You're going to see it at some point. Don't worry. So, so what happens when you work with somebody? And, and you know, this is what I come across in my in my daily life as a coach. Is sometimes you meet somebody and they just seem not to, to get it. They seem they're too weighed, like you, you told us before. How, how do you keep yourself motivated and optimistic about somebody who seems to be too much on the other side, too lost, too far in the shit, you know, to ever, because you, you must see, for what helps for me is seeing these amazing transformations out of nowhere, yeah. like that, that keeps the, the magic alive. Yeah, you know, that's such a good question. And, and I've had to learn different ways and obviously still learn different ways because everyone responds differently. But one of the ways that I have learned this year, actually, is um, using uh, using people's language, not my language. That's been a huge thing. Like, so I'll give you an example. I worked with this woman. We started working in February of this year, and she contacted me because she was like, you know, I've 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 looked at how you faced such a um, you know deep, confusing past. And you've come to a place where you're speaking on stage about it. There's videos of you on YouTube that you share like so freely. You're not stuck with your story. I have a story. I'd like to share that as well. And so that was the premise of why she contacted me. But as we got into conversation, we started to find out that she was raped as a young child. And now she's about 40 and it's all coming out in different ways that are very unhealthy. She was put on different medications, 19 different pills a day is what she was taking, seeing two trauma counselors a week in ICU and um, off of work for long-term disability. And she's a very well-educated, you know, got a couple of masters and PhD and she's, she's, she's well off in that way. But she wanted to, she, her, I, I was like, what's your story? And she told me her story and she said, this is what I want to do. I want to expose everyone. I just want to get on a TED stage and expose everyone. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know, but let's explore. Now, as we talked about it, I was trying to explain to her in our first few conversations how I discovered what thought was and that changed the game. Not my thinking, just what thought was. As soon as I said it, she was like, it's not fucking thought, it's real. I, I'm sick and tired of hearing this. I've done the Deepak Chopra course and the Abraham Hicks and all this Eckhart Tolle stuff. It's not thought. And I was like, whoa. I remember thinking, what other word can I use? Because it's thought. Yeah. <laughs> the T word. This has to be uh, yeah, right? avoided. Yeah. Yeah. And, I had, and, and you know what was so fascinating was I said, okay, so I, 
I don't know what came about, but I started playing with the conversation and, and the word interpretation came out. And I seen her change. It landed differently because to her, thought was something that was uh, dismissing her story. Whereas an interpretation to her was like, oh, maybe there is, is there something in how I interpret things. She could see that there's truth that we are interpreting life. We're not, we're not living in reality. Mm-hmm. Now that landed with such gentle ease that that would became my word. I never used the word thought with her until, of course, she started seeing more things. Like I sent her things with Bill Pettit and, and Sid, and she just dismissed them. It's not fucking thought. I was like, whoa. But this landed with her, and so we played with that. So that's just one of the examples of like staying in the conversation in their language. Um, another example is somebody who had so much to say, and according to her, you know, nobody in her life would listen to her. Everyone would try and tell her, do this instead, or try and fix her, or why don't you, you know, you're, you're, you're making a big deal out of something or nothing. That it took actually five two-hour conversations with her. So first five weeks, I didn't get one word in, not one word. <laughs> she just vomited out everything, right? And, and I let that happen. I mean, even I was like, it's been five weeks. <laughs> 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 But there is a sense of knowing when somebody is ready to listen versus they're just going to argue. And so, you know, you try and poke and they're arguing, so I I let them speak. So I'm learning different ways of how to get through that. But, you know, long-winded answer to your question, the thing that does keep me motivated, I wouldn't even say motivated, I think grounded is the word, is to really see that it is true what we're talking about. Like, this is not a new method. It's not a new technique. It's not a new way of implementing or applying something in the world. This is ancient. It's how it works. Mm -hmm. And if we can stay with that, then the person will see it. Yeah, and this and this comes with experience, right? There, it's it's so important as a coach to keep on coaching. And and you know, it's it's probably the the the, the, the best thing you can do is to hang in there. There's so many moments that you feel like shit or like the biggest imposter in the world. You know, you probably have that experience as well if no, nobody changes. Or you have like, yeah, this is a fluke, you know. Their, their life has changed, but I've got nothing. So the thing is, throughout the story, your story, what I hear, what I've heard a couple of times is that somewhere along the line, there were these moments where you just knew. You just know stuff. You just, you don't, you can't explain it. It's just clear. Now, this is one of these things that is also very helpful in the coaching uh, environment, you know, where you learn to trust that feeling. Um, But, you know, just to close this off a little bit, we have a couple of minutes. I want to talk about love just a little bit, and only if it's just for Jan. (laughs) (laughs) So how how important is love in in your work, in your coaching, in your life even? In mine? Yeah. Oh, I think it is the... Uh, the cornerstone, I think that's, without that, without our my finger on the pulse of love, every conversation, it's very, very easy to get in my head or think that what I know is what's right or, uh, you know, direct people in an, in an agenda that I secretly don't know I have that I'm innocently pushing, you know, without love, all of that is very, very possible. And by the way, just as a side note, I'm so glad that you mentioned the imposter syndrome because... 
I realized that my story can sound like this. Yeah, this guy came out of the impossible and did this. Yeah. Not true at all. I'm insecure every single day. In fact, yesterday, I spent most of yesterday in insecurity. Um, yeah. Well, welcome and, to the club. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. it's easy for people to go, wow, I, that's, that's not me. No, it, it, what I love about the principles is that it is love in action. Mm. Even if you're insecure, even if you're anxious, it's it's a form of love that's just formed a different way right now and, um, you know, allows us to show up like that. To me, love allows me to show up even when I don't want to show up or when I think it'll be different or I, I have um, my imagination is completely unaligned with reality. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think you said, you know, people might think, you know, this guy is amazing. I still think you are amazing because that got nothing to do with insecurity or not knowing what to do or, you know, failing or whatever. That is part of, of the amazing thing you are. We all are the thing, whatever, energy, life form. And, and, and for me, it's, it's really awesome and weird and fucked up to see how I've come to feel comfortable around using the word, word love like in, in, in every conversation I have. Like a year ago even, it would have been seemed impossible for me to talk about it this much. I feel so comfortable about it. That's great. <laughs> right? cool. Like you, you, yeah. you, get, you get more free uh, uh, when it comes to, to, to talking about it or being, coming from it. You know, it's such a powerful yeah. thing. Um, Jen, are you in love right now? Well, yeah, and you have to look at your self-love. That's, it's been a big journey finding that. That first you have to find self-love because before you have that, you really can't understand love or um, appreciate it. But once you have self-love, then you can give it, you can feel it, you can receive it. It's just a whole different ballgame. Yeah. But it means everything. I really love that means everything yeah That's well uh, nothing to add to that like you know uh, love is 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 the, the thing that keeps everything uh, together that where every inspiration comes from and the more I see it the more I am uh, the more I fall in love with life the more love shows me that it's about love and mm. like I said before a couple of years ago I would have laughed at you in your face like yeah whatever you know, love, you know. Yeah. It's so important. So it is, it is. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I think it, it, it has brought us together. It, is, it has brought you and I together, Jen, but also Shannon right now and, and, and his story. Um, his story is a story of love where I, I think love uh, uh, shows him the way. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Words in your mouth. No, um, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. That was the underlying whisper that was guiding me and that's probably why I'm still here doing what I'm doing awesome Ex so accepting yourself we're at the end yeah. that's it, the end, the end. It's, okay. it's, yeah, it's, it's the end of uh, at least the end of this this show we have uh, reached the 26 mark again um, Shanann I really appreciate you you showing up today and uh, it was awesome to hear from you really cool and inspiring story Jen Beautiful as ever. Grateful for you being here. This was our last episode for now, and maybe the future will bring something 
new. We'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I want to just wish all the people who listen right now much love. I don't know if you have any last words. Are we just going to fuck up the engineer who has to make this into a, <laughs> a, sh- a shorter block of time? Well, it was, this oh. was a great show. I really enjoyed it, Shannon. I'm glad that you came yes. on today, shared your story. I think it's so inspiring. And it is so full of love. Once you got self-love you. for your, you were okay. Once you accepted yeah. that that you didn't need to feel out like an outcast and you could accept yourself. You were good. Right. That's so true. Well, thank you both for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Okay. Great. Bye Talk to me. you another time. I would love that. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to A Magnificent Mind. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll see you then.